the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into our number three. Coming to you from the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group 960 Patriot Studio. Midas Gold Group is your trusted source for precious metals. Your trusted source for great thought and conversation are Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, and many other things. And his son, Louis Hallman, who is the managing director, managing director of Inside Analytics, LLC. Um, they join us uh, most Tuesdays when they're around, and lucky us, they are. 103 years ago today, God gave us Ronald Reagan, and earlier this morning he took Toby Keith, which is a sad day, man who defined wow. so much of country music. And too young. Yeah, 63, stomach cancer, terrible. But he defined the dec- two decades of great music and uh, just a great man. Anyway, it's great to see you two great gentlemen here. And uh, what are you, what, what's, what's ailing you? I'm just going to add, of course, the most important thing is it was also uh, a, uh, 31 years ago today that I first stepped on the soil of the Republic of Kazakhstan, oh, newly wow. formed. Yep, isn't that funny? Pregnant day. Let's. Here's what's on my mind. Your monologue was fabulous. <laughs> Calling uh, out two things mainly. Uh, first, the New York Times for being self-referential. Write a news story that claims a fact that is unproved. And then a day or two later, start citing it as the basis for the fact so that six months later, when it continues to be cited, everybody takes it as fact uh, rather than merely as a premise of the New York Times. You note this is some notion that they are the font of all knowledge and they are so egotistical that they believe as the publishing uh, publisher of the world's best newspaper that they know better than any of the rest of us. That's number one. Number two, you then raise the uh, whole point of the analysis that is undertaken by the left uh, about the immigration bill now being the most wonderful thing that's ever been done and that Republicans are the obstructionists with respect to immigration reform. They are the ones now precluding the U.S. government from sealing the border tight. Uh, and it is Republicans that's precluding uh, dealing with this crisis that even the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security uh, cannot utter the word crisis when it comes to the border problem that his division and all of the folks who report to him uh, uh, as directed by the president have yet to solve. But here is the piece that I thought worthy to start with at the beginning. As you know, Seth, I drive you nuts because I always want to look at the original material. And in this instance, it is Senate Bill 744, the Border Security, Economic Opportunity, and Immigration Modernization Act. And now it's been reduced down to, does it or does it not effectively say that you get a free pass of 5,000 illegal immigrants a day, uh, and as long as that takes place, the government doesn't have to do anything, but that if there are at least 5,000 immigrants a day on average for a week, or 8,500 in a day, then the president has the authority to close the border. Your monologue does a nice job about describing why the 
bellowing from the left about how Republicans are horrible and lying about this is actually false, that the left is lying about it. What, what I wanted to point out is we start with a bill that is to solve the immigration problem, uh, the immediate crisis we have, and it takes 1,198 pages to do it. That's the reason I didn't print it out for you to have to read is because I did not want to spend more than a ream of paper, even printed on both sides to have the darn thing. And so I merely printed the, quote, summary of it, which is itself 17 pages long, single spaced in such teeny tiny type. I can't even read it when I have my glasses on. So that's a gift for you. There it is. Uh, okay, so that's the big start. Can I thank you for this. Uh, you don't have to thank me for it. It's perfect for lining bird cages, wrapping fish, or other uh, uses of important paper like that. Then uh, I'm going to turn it over to Lewis to see if he wants to add anything before I continue to pontificate. So th- there's a few things that immediately come to mind with all of this. The first thing is that. We, we have a, a, a society ostensibly where we care about the rule of law, where we, we care about our institutions and our civic society. In fact, that's why you, you hear those on the left decry Donald Trump purportedly as dangerous because he's, a, he's apparently threatening to our institutions and to our civic democracy. And yet this is a case of where we, how we see that, that all law is at some level, discretionary because we have a chief executive that is now looking to say the first 5,000 rule breakers get a free pass. You can go. What other crime do we have a 5,000-person quota for? 5,000 free murders? 5,000 free arsons? 5,000 free robberies? No, no, it doesn't exist. The only oh, reason that's not it true. exists in California, it exists if you're breaking and entering into uh, Walgreens or other and theft pharmacies, under a thousand. and yeah, and and you steal less than a thousand dollars worth of stuff. Right, right. That would be the 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 other case. The smash and grab. And so, we we come to a point where we have an administration that is desperate to demonize its political enemies and to use the weight of law against them, and simultaneously is bellowing that it is the maintainer of civic order and civic responsibility, while also then uh, uh, allowing in an entire tranche of people for its own political benefit. The, the, the reason to allow these people, even though, as we know, uh, 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 illegal immigrants don't necessarily vote, they do get counted in population censuses which does impact the number of representatives that a constituency gets that affects federal funding, all sorts of other variables. And so these, these tasks, the, the, these tactics are a recipe to allow uh, uh, leftists effectively to import uh, not labor but political manpower into their, their constituencies and in doing so further, further sway uh, the, the, the culture war and the ongoing uh, uh, political debate in this country. Precisely. And I would add that as that takes place, the first question I have is, why why 5,000? You raised this issue in your monologue, Seth. Why not zero? That the president should have the authority, if a president believes it's then appropriate, to close the border based on whatever the number of illegal immigrants are crossing. 
Now, why wouldn't Democrats do that? Because Lewis has just articulated that they are allowing a host of people to come into the country that then become uh, potential constituents for their view and become constituents. consigned to the Democratic Party because they are then beholden and dependent on the bennies that the Democratic Party supplies. Why not zero? The other reason is because the Democrats fear that somebody like Donald Trump may again be president. And if you give a president the authority to close the border because there is danger to it in their view, then a Donald Trump is going to say, guess what? We just closed the border. Why do I say that? Because it was President Trump that exercised Title 42 in order to close the border as a matter of emergency when we were dealing with the health crisis, as they claimed it, uh, for COVID. Now, it was only last May that Republicans were saying to the Biden administration, do not rescind This action by Donald Trump, if you do, it will open massive immigration into this country of the illegal nature. And the Democrats were saying, oh, absolutely not. That's just a lie. This is this was a put up deal by Trump and therefore we should rescind it. And what happened? We got increased migration. And moreover, it is ironic that the D's are now citing as their best example of how this new legislation should work. And I quote. She likened the proposed authority to Title 42, a health rule that used the coronavirus as grounds for quickly turning back immigrants illegally crossing the border from March 2020 until the policy, quote, ended, unquote, in May, unquote. Now, isn't it ironic that they're now saying, gee, if only we had the authority President Trump used to close the border, which we ourselves rescinded and now can't use again because we can't come up with a crisis sufficient to do it. One of the other fascinating things about this is, is that we're, we're on this number of 5,000 people a day from, from the bill itself. What's interesting about that is 5,000 per day times 365 days a year is 1.8 million people. That's almost double the 1 million legal green cards that we give out every year. So we have, in effect, tripled our immigration profile by this this covert sanction of massive inflows of illegal immigration. This is a, a an enormous increase, and it is being passed by to to hide the magnitude of this change. A lot was said there, um, and I want to tie some of it together on the other side of this break. Hugh Hallman is my guest. Lewis Hallman is my guest. I'm Seth Liebson, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Yeah, the, the great guitar picker uh, and lyricist. He wrote he wrote most of his own songs like that one, How Do You Like Me Now? It's a great song, great video about uh, a guy who's spurned by the girls in high school. But uh, how do you like him now? <laughs> sure no Holman. one in this room has any idea what yeah. that's like. No, no one. None of us. That was not our experiences. Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why the song the is geeks so popular. Strike back. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You want to be popular, write a song about misanthropic periods in high school. Wow. Um, Lewis Holman, I think you put your finger on a big part of this problem with the bill that uh, Joe Biden. Um, President Biden is making more impossible to pass by stepping into it the way he did today. You uh, you said in the previous segment that illegal aliens can't necessarily vote, but they account for apportionments regarding census and congressional delegations and 
federal that funding sort of and yeah, what have all, you. All kinds, yeah, all kinds of federal subvention. Um, and 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 I think the Joe Biden may have may have hurt the chances even more so today because if there's one thing and one phrase that sets a lot of people's teeth on edge, it's pathway to citizenship. And for him to have brought that up today, I thought was political malfeasance. Because that's what everyone is concerned about. We have now flooded the zone with several million illegal immigrants, and he's now talking about legalizing them so that they not only get the subvention, so that the Democrats not only get more congressional delegation, uh, more congressional representation, but now more votes, period. Well, the, the notion of a path to citizenship in that way for uh, as an amnesty measure for people who have, have come into the country illegally is, to me at least, it would seem a betrayal of those that are waiting in line and, and, and are frankly the next in the queue to come in. Uh, if you look at the statistics currently, it's, it, we, we allow basically a set number of people per country. And so if your country is very, very populous, then there is a massive waiting pool, despite the fact that then per capita it would suggest that a large country might have many people that we would like to get who are intelligent or well-educated or well-funded or whatever that would be net contributors to the society. Uh, but instead... H-1B visa seekers. H-1B visa seekers yeah, ex- are, are the, the, the classical example of this. Those are you know people of a specific high technology education background that we need to fill jobs that we're going short on, not that they're going to take jobs from people who would otherwise seek them here as a native born. Correct. And, and you know, I, I, I would contrast this, right? Giving the, the free flow to anyone who can mosey over the border, but while in India, for instance, the average wait time for a, a green card is about 12 years and with certain types is up to 134 years mm-hmm. or about double the average life expectancy in India. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this punishes all of those that are waiting in line. And <laughs> Yeah, isn't that a fun stat? Yeah, I like the way you just put that, Lewis. Yeah, only thinking, in India do right. they not live that long. Can, well, can, <laughs> can, you, can you apply for your grandchild yet on board? Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like the notion of uh, in Japan, they're, they're, they're experimenting with like uh, 70 or 100 year long mortgages where yes, you right. know, your, your grandchildren or your child might assume right. that. This is the inverse chain migration right, exactly. Plan. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. But... but so th- this is a, this is a slap in the face to those that uh, that we would like to have that have rule against in line. perpetuities problems yes. for lawyers. Uh huh. <laughs> yes. So go ahead, Lou. Sorry. Uh, uh, and and while again, it while tacitly uh, uh, allowing triple the the number of uh, of immigrants that we otherwise would have, and and this is a serious matter. Um, the U.S. currently has, I, I believe, about eighteen percent of its population is foreign born, which is a, which is enormous. Uh, the peak in our society was in about the 1890s to 1910s, at which the the population of foreign-born peaked at about 18.7, 18 18.8%, so not much higher than this. In fact, uh, sociologists speculate that you start to see social instability and a fragmenting of the the institutions that make up a society if you get more than 20, 25% of that population. And so by tripling the, the, the number uh, of people and making the total about 2.5 million people, we would be allowing then about 0.6% of our population net 
in every single year. And that would probably push us over that threshold sooner than later, which would be a concern sociologically speaking. And sociologically speaking and politically speaking, how you then inculcate the values that the society is based on to that large number of people. Because keep in mind, from 1890 to uh, 1910, the population of the United States was about a third of what it is now. So the absolute number we're talking about is about three times the highest number of a percentage that we've ever admitted. So it's the absolute number of people you've got to get educated about the values here who are not going through the legal processes where they have to take exams to get their citizenship and learn about what makes this country great. Right. That is the key to turning it and what we did such a good job of with our school and education system in that wave of immigration, which was designed to make Americans of them. Gerard Baker in the Wall Street Journal. Did you guys read him today? He was writing on how civilizations disappear. And he said, in the post-Christian West, um, you don't have to believe in theories about a great replacement to see that the policies in Europe and Europe that have unleashed mass immigration in the past few years aren't born of neglect or incompetence, but are a deliberate choice to open their nations to all comers, which he said then went on to say is how you lose a country and a culture if not tamed. And it's 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 something we all do notice, whether we want to speak about it or not. It is something we all do notice because our education system was supposed to be the cure for that, where it turns out it's additionally the harm and the, and, and, and the pain of it. And what's interesting, of course, this nation was built on the notion of immigration being the way in which people could be invited to join the shining city on the hill, but that it was a requirement that you understand the values and principles on which this society was based. European nations, on the other hand, had always kept their societies closed and very uh, monoethnic. And so you did not have much strain on those edges until the last two generations. And now Germany is losing Germany. The Swedes are going nuts about the fact that it's no longer Swedish. And the French uh, are having a terrible infighting problem about the fact that they don't know what it means to be French anymore. And so all of those values are being demonstrated in that problem. Setting that into the United States, what matters to us is not what kind of bread you eat, not what kind of beer you chose, not what your Christmas decorations are. In fact, the the diversity of food is part of what makes our culture interesting. But the fundamental issue is, do you believe in the values that created this society. And often we are talking about Judeo-Christian values, which the left goes crazy about because they assume that I'm speaking about religion. I am not. I'm talking about the, uh, the values that dem- are demonstrated in those religions that were adopted in non-religious-based societies, in secular points that gave rise to Greece, that ultimately were adopted from the Middle East into Greece and then brought here by our founders who understood that ancient history. Let me pick up on that when we come back. It's what you're describing is what Lincoln called our political religion, which could be uh, believed in and and celebrated and observed by Jew, Christian, Muslim, or atheist. Right out of the Lyceum address, yep. Right, yeah. Let me cup up, pick up on some of that when we come right back. Inimitable voice. Uh, the other inimitable voices you hear, inimitable voices you hear, are those of Hugh and Lewis Holman, my guests here on the Seth Leibson Show. There is an acculturation we're talking about in what it means to become an immigrant or be an immigrant in America. What we can tolerate. You know, twenty years ago, Melanie um, Melanie uh, Phillips wrote a book called Londonistan, 
and she highlighted that there were now places in England that are known as no-go places, no-go zones, because of the um, the culture that has been brought into by some very radical elements in the Muslim communities that have taken over large swaths of London. I was talking to a woman at a reception a couple weeks ago, maybe months ago, and asking her where she's from, you know, the way we talk at these things. And she said, uh, Los Angeles. I said, whereabouts? Because we all kind of know Los Angeles. And she said, such and such a place. Nowhere you'd go now. And then she just moved on as if that was just a blithe thing we accept. There are now major parts of major cities we just would not go to anymore. And this is another part of what we're talking about with some form of some form of a pressure release valve we need on this system, Lewis. Well, we, we talked uh, in the last segment also about sort of the, the cultural continuity of societies. And uh, uh, it's interesting that you bring up London. I believe as of 2020, fewer than half of the population of London is uh, uh, sort of a, um, a, a white native uh, uh, Britain, um, which is very, very interesting. They're now sort of a, a minority in their own capital that, that uh, on, on the British Conservative Party is causing some strife and some some issue with, of course, on their, their left, the usual wailing and gnashing of teeth of the word racist. Uh, but we were also talking. Rishi Sunak is the prime minister. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is, right. That, is, that doesn't sound like Winston Churchill. Uh, and so we, we were also talking earlier um, about this notion that the Many British, I'm sorry, many European countries have very recently started to to take in large proportions of uh, migrants, while previously being almost sort of ethnic monocultures. And this is, I think, at the root this this ability of of European societies to have persisted for so long as effectively ethnic monocultures is is the root of their. Uh, a lot of their cohesiveness and a lot of the criticism that they are then able to levy at the U.S. The U.S. is dirty. It's scary. Uh, you know, it's it's control. not cohesive. We have violence here. And it's like, okay, sure, Iceland. It must be very, very challenging to police an island with 900,000 ethnically homogenous people on it instead of a society of 330 million people of every race, ethnicity, and creed in an area the size of a continent in every single biome. Yes, these these are not one in the same challenge. Sweden has the same advantage, Norway, right. Finland, and the, now they're all suffering from an immigration overload in their view that is undermining their sense of self. And they're breaching, in many cases, that 20% number that I, I discussed in, in the last segment, where if you get a, a more than 20% of your population that is foreign-born, you start to get uh, an erosion in the quality of civic life and your institutions. You can see in Sweden the... Uh, existence of no-go zones and uh, uh, of predominantly Muslim gangs from the Middle East and North Africa uh, uh, brawling with police and, in fact, uh, bombing police stations using grenades, RPGs, totally uh, 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 not something that that one would ever have associated with Sweden, but something that uh, uh, is now bearing the fruits of a very, very poorly managed uh, immigration system, one that was overly permissive, one that let in anyone, and one that overly uh, uh, catered to this notion of uh, refugee status, even when what we're really talking about are ethnic, uh, I'm sorry, are, are economic uh, migrants rather than refugees from war-torn areas. I was thinking out loud yesterday with the audience about the reasons people care about this issue generally, and there's probably 
more reasons attached to this issue to care about than almost any other public policy conundrum you can think of. Whether you care about crime, and they're all related, by the way, whether you care about crime, whether you care about cartelization in America, whether you care about drugs, whether you care about the tremendous expense that this brings to our health care system or the tremendous expense it brings to our education system. Sex trafficking. Whether you care about child trafficking or sex trafficking. It, immigration is the composition of who we of these are. All kinds of things, never mind just the very simple fact that there's something called Title VIII, which makes this illegal in the first place, which unless I slept through it like some kind of Rip Van Winkle, I don't remember we repealed. Fortunately, we have just changed the law so that the word alien is no longer used. That was the important change. (laughs) I love this far, right? Oh, no, this is I'm not as good as I once was, Yeah. This was Mr. Bill's suggestion. Oh, it was? It's a good one. Yeah, it's a big hit. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh, you're old enough to remember we studied and read Jean de Crevacour's essay, Notes of a, a Farmer, of a, of a New England Farmer. Uh, Lewis, I don't know if they were still teaching it when you were going through elementary school, but he was a, a, a Frenchman who moved here, and he wrote, What attachment can a poor immigrant have for a country where he had nothing? The knowledge of the language, the love of a few kindred as poor as himself, were the only cords that tied him. His country is now that which gives him bread, land, protection, and consequence. Ubi panis ibi patria is the motto of all immigrants. Where there is bread, there is my country. What then is the American, this new man? He is either a strange mixture of blood, which you will find in no other country. I could point out to you a man whose grandfather was an Englishman, whose wife was Dutch, whose son married a French woman, and whose present four sons have now four different wives of four different nations. But he is an American who leaves behind him all his ancient prejudices and manners and receives new one from the he has embraced. From the new government he obeys and the new rank he holds. He becomes an American by being received in the broad lap of our great alma mater. Here, individuals of all nations are melted into a new race of men whose labors and posterity will one day cause great changes in the world. Americans are the Western pilgrims who are carrying along with them that great mass of art, science, vigor, and industry, which began long since in the East, and they will finish the great circle. We all kind of grew up with that under the romantic notions of the kind of immigration Hugh was talking about, and to the exact and precise degree that is so far removed from what we're talking about when we're talking about our immigration, our illegal immigration problem is the exact extent to which we oppose it. Well, I, is that I, fair? I believe so. And, and I wonder, you know, about what He's national— adumbrating the political religion of Lincoln's uh, phraseology. And, and on that point, what is the national character? What is the political religion we want to inculcate? Is it one of conscientious striving, of, of discipline— and of patience and tolerance for the system as it is, even though it's imperfect? Or is it one of criminal entrepreneurialism where the rules don't matter and it's go ahead and get ahead? It's dog eat dog and you you need to go out and exploit the environment as best you can. Which of those sounds like the society that you would like to live in? I prefer the former. To take a quick shift, I do want to add back to the platform on which we're developing these notions of philosophy, and that is... We are currently in this debate about a new bill that the president insists he must have in order to staunch the illegal immigration that's taking place at our southern border. Again, the Canadian borders uh, only of concern with Canadians sneaking across 
to uh, to harvest asparagus, um, and we all need asparagus. Uh, but the example of the nonsense that is being uttered by this White House is demonstrated by, for example, this little metric I put together, 31 actions taken from January 20th, 2021, the first day, on my first day in office, I will, and he did, yep. uh, to uh, April 21st, 2021, in 90 days, 31 actions to repeal and alter the immigration system that was in effect up until the moment Donald Trump left office because Donald Trump was such an evil person and mean to immigrants. So, Mr. President, you used, as uh, your predecessor liked to say, your uh, phone and your pen, uh, and you made all kinds of executive orders and and took actions to change the way our immigration system worked to create this mess. And now, as a political matter, you want to say, gee whiz, my hands are tied, and it's the nasty, mean Republicans who are causing this terrible crisis on our southern border. The answer to that is very clear. Nonsense. In addition, as to the other point I made about uh, now moving from the use of the word alien, um, it started with a policy memorandum uh, in uh, 2021, and they wanted to eliminate the use of that word. And so the final memorandum says that the previous word was alien, and the current word will be respondent, applicant, petitioner, beneficiary, migrant, non-citizen, or non-U.S. citizen. Undocumented American should be on that list somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. Undocumented alien or illegal alien yeah. now is undocumented non-citizen, undocumented non-U.S. citizen, or undocumented individual. Oh How about unaccompanied alien child, uh-huh. unaccompanied non-citizen child, unaccompanied non-U.S. citizen child, or U.C.? I recall George Carlin uh, uh uh, saying that you can always tell the degree to which something has been uh, euphemized by the number of hyphens. <laughs> In this instance, now, we are talking more seriously about the policy uh, bases of this country and that the real struggle at the end of the day for someone like me is I believe sincerely in the values and the principles that on which this society was based And while immigration has always been an important part of this country's growth and its ultimately success, why do I say that? Because it is all the different perspectives that we've gathered from around the world from different cultures that allow us to apply our minds to solving problems in ways that other countries and other societies and other cultures can't. We have so many different perspectives to offer that when we do it well and have good argument and discussions, we create solutions that no one else can. That's the reason the United States is the font of innovation, where Germany is the font of being able to run the machines that have been invented in the United States. And at the end of the day, China can replicate what Germany has put together as a machine that was designed off of the ideas coming from this country. That's all crucial to our success. But our success fundamentally starts with retaining the freedom and nature of this society, that shining city on a hill. And when you do not bring those values to home by the people who come here from someplace else and they instead replace or supplant our original values here with their own, we end up with the crises and the mess that we see around the globe in Russia, in Iran, in the Middle East, across it, in China. 
bring those ideas here and destroy the foundations, and we will no longer have a society worth traveling to. So let's give the devil his due. There is, in fact, an enormous strength in diversity, a diversity of philosophy, a diversity of idea, a diversity of experience, and a diversity of culture. However, this is not the paint-chip diversity of the left. It is not the the... Everyone is is uh, of all different colors, but we're all communists together, mm-hmm. right? That is not a diversity of idea, of thought. That is not the kind of diversity that makes us successful in this country. We, we would love to see a wide range of thought, ideals, ideas, all coming together to cohesively create the America that we love and cherish together. And honestly, who cares what country they're from? The right. point we're making here is that we want more Ayan Hirsi Ali's and less Ilan Omar's. That's the point we're making, both from Somalia. That's the point we're making. Ilan Omar comes here and has no attachment or interest in being attached to the values that you folks just spoke of. Ayan Hirsi Ali, who has been begging to debate Ilan Omar on this point, has nothing but the best representation of those very values. We'll be right back. Well, I was just thinking, Toby Keith taken from us today on the very day of the anniversary of the birth of Ronald Reagan. Remember how you were part of this campaign? Do you remember the use of Lee Greenwood's song by Ronald Reagan? I do. Were the two of them contemporaries? I have a feeling Toby Keith would have had a role in some of those Reagan rallies, as he did in um, in the early aughts of this of this decade. Uh, but we have been commemorating uh, Toby Keith's passing today. His tremendous service to our to our soldiers in any number of charities, but let's uh, let's not forget Ronald Reagan either, who helped uh, who helped keep this country what it uh, what it was, and uh, and what it is. This is some audio I discovered that most people, you know, they have this view of Ronald Reagan as this kind avuncular, gentle man, which he had elements of and used and exploited wonderfully, but there was also the tough Ronald Reagan too that I don't want people to forget. Let me give you this audio. If you have a final five seconds of comment, you're welcome to it. But in honor of Reagan's birthday, young David, let it rip. When I first suggested the danger of government control inherent in so many federal handouts, there were people who denied vehemently that every, any such thing could ever take place. And yet, before too long, the same people were saying, what's wrong with government control? And in the recent days, we've heard representatives in the higher echelons of government ask us, well, are you afraid of your own government? Well, to tell you the truth, I am. And all of us should be. And I speak not in a partisan sense of an administration or individuals. I'm talking of the institution of government. Wasn't this the admonition of the Founding Fathers? But government tends to grow, to take on power, until freedom eventually is lost. The fact is, and we can't escape it, only government is capable of tyranny. Wow. That's the Reagan that's been forgotten. You can have 10 seconds to say happy birthday however you want. I'll tell you that that isn't the Reagan that's forgotten. That's the Reagan that attracted me and understood how to negotiate a deal, how to keep the uh, evil empire in check, who understood the dialectic, deny, support, mandate, and worked his entire career to oppose that, writing his own speeches, making those claims, and leading us to greatness. 
I'm yep. scared of a government that could spend $10 trillion of our own money as a deficit over the last four years. But that's just me. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Until tomorrow, I am Seth Liebson on behalf of Mr. Bill Terry, Young David and the Hallmans. God bless and last dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.